your help, actually, with an illustration. Need some help. So what I want you to do is if you've been going to one chapel for at least one month, one month or longer, I want you to stand up. One month or longer, stand up. If you've been going to one chapel for one year or longer, stay standing. Two years or longer. Three years or longer. Four years or longer. If you were at the original one chapel launch service, stay standing. Give him a hand. Good job. <laughs> okay, everyone else can sit down. I do that because I want to take you back to the time that you first walked through the doors of one chapel, wherever that was. And I want you to remember what stuck out to you the most when you first came on that Sunday. Was it the worship? Was it the children's ministry? Was it the sermon? Was it the one chapel coffee mug? You guys love that thing. I don't know. <laughs> what stuck out to you the most? Popcorn? <laughs> Movie theater? Name tags. That's what stuck out to me the most. I remember when I first came and saw Pastor Ross, Pastor Brent, they're my friends, and I came to the movie theater, and I walked in, and I was like, oh, they have name tags. I have to write out my names. Who here felt comfortable with writing out their name? Who here felt a little awkward, like, I'm not sure if I should be doing this? <laughs> the reason that I loved that they had name tags was because it said, this is something different. This is not a movie that you're just going to come in and walk out. This is not a football game that you're going to come and be in. Uh, anonymous. This is not something like that. This is a place where your name matters. This is a place where we get to know each other. This is a community. And so that's what I love about it. It's because it said that to me. It's like, you don't just get to come and sit in the back row and be a passive person, but you're jumping into the church family, into the people of God. And in the people of God, your name is very, very important. I think for all of us as people, we want our names to be known in some way. We want people to know us. I, um, I just moved here a month ago from Colorado Springs, and I lived in Colorado Springs for most of my life. And anywhere that I'd go in Colorado Springs, everyone knew me. I could go into a coffee shop, because when you, go, when you live somewhere long enough, people just know you. You get to know, I went to high school there, went to church there, just kind of spent a lot of years there. And so I could go to coffee shops, I could go to movie theaters, I could go to church, different places, and I felt like people know me, people knew my story. When I come here now, it's that feeling of like, wow, I feel a little more anonymous. I feel a little more invisible because I'm not known. And I think what the Bible calls us to as a church, first of all, is to be a place where we're known, where we matter. And I think uh, the Bible illustrates this really well, actually, in Matthew. And so if you would, start the, my sermon today is called My Name Is. And I'd like you to open to the book of Matthew, chapter 1, verse 1. This is the very opening of the New Testament after it was uh, silent for 400 years. And all of a sudden in Matthew 1, verse 1, it's got to have a big open. This is the very beginning of the New Testament. So you expect, okay, this is going to be a huge epic opening. And if you'd read along with me, this is how it reads. The people of God were lost, brokenhearted. For 400 years they had been in exile, and now they were under Roman occupation. They were in need of a deliverer for a savior to be born. Luckily, that baby was coming for such a time as this. You all look confused. 
because that's not how the Bible actually starts. That's not how the New Testament actually starts. It's kind of how we wish it would start. We wish it would have this big epic Star Wars scroll or Lord of the Rings prologue that really kind of tells everything that we need to know. But all it gives us is a list of names. And a lot of times, I think Matthew 1 through 17 is one of the most glossed over versions of the parts of the Bible. We just kind of read over it because we're like, okay, begot, begot, begot. Where's the baby? Where's the angel? Where's the miracle? Where's the nativity? Where's the Christmas ornaments? That's part of the story that I want to get to. And so we gloss over all the names. Here's how Matthew 1 actually begins. Matthew 1, verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez begot Hezron. Hezron begot Aram. Aram begot Amminadab. Amminadab begot Nashon. And Nashon begot Solomon. Solomon begot Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse. And Jesse begot David the king. You've kind of glossed over again, haven't you? I've lost you a little bit. This is one of those sort of more stereotypical parts of the Bible where we just kind of gloss over and lose interest because we don't understand what's happening here. You see, when we know the names, we're really interested. We hear the name Abraham and we say, Abraham, I know him. God said, you will have as many descendants as the stars in the sky. And then we say, Isaac, oh, I know him too. He was the miracle baby that Abraham and Sarah had. And then we say, oh, Jacob, Jacob, I know his story. He went and there was Jacob and Esau. He wrestled with the angel. He tricked his dad. There was this whole amazing story with him. And there was Judah. I think there's like a lion in a tribe of Judah. I'm not sure. And then there was Perez and Zerah. And I don't know anything about them. And so we kind of gloss over once we don't know anything about those names because those names are just names. Names only have meaning to us if we know the stories behind them. But see, it's important to know that the audience that read this was reading a miracle. They were reading after Judah, the line of Judah. There was Perez, and we don't know a lot about Perez. Uh, but I think that to the audience reading it, there was, it was a testimony that the people of God survived. Maybe he was a farmer and survived the scorching hot summers and the fa famine. He went off to war and died. But before he died, he had a little baby boy, Aram. The people of God carried on. And Aram, he went and did many things. And before he died, he had Aminadab. And these stories, actually, the names here are the story. We're not given some epic straw. We're giving the names are the story. When Matthew, when this whole section comes to an end, Matthew 1, verse 17 says this. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David until the capacity of Babylon are 14 generations. And from the capacity of Babylon, or sorry, captivity in Babylon until Christ are 14 generations. So we're saying, this is God's people. This is the whole lineage. This is the genealogy. This is an amazing thing. Every name, they didn't have calendars like we do and Labor Day and that sort of stuff. They said, God's people survived one generation after another, after another. And that in and of itself is a miracle. And all that led to Jesus being born. The names were the story. God tells his story through his people. To further illustrate this point, I want to open to the book of Acts. So if you read Acts 2, verse 42, uh, starting at verse 41 and 42, this is from the message because I think it really kind of paints the picture. 
This is after Peter went, and it was after Pentecost, after he preached that sermon, and after that sermon, 3,000 were saved, and all of a sudden there were 3,000 brand new of these things called Christians. And it's like, what do we do? How do we organize? How does this work? And this is what they decided to do in the book of Acts. That day, about 3,000 took him at his word, him as Peter, were baptized and were signed up. They committed themselves to the teaching of the apostles, the life together, the common meal and prayers. Everyone around was in awe. All those wonders and signs done through the apostles. And all the believers lived in wonderful harmony, holding everything in common. They sold whatever they owned, pooled the resources so that each person's need was met. They followed a daily d- discipline of worship in the temple, followed by meals at home. Every meal a celebration, exuberant and joyful as they praised God. People in general liked what they saw. Every day their number grew as God added to those who were saved. Some big ideas here. The early church spent a lot of time together. They ate meals together. They took care of each other's needs. And from that nucleus, from that core, they went out and made a difference in the community. But if we're weak in our nucleus, if, we're not, if we don't know each other's names, and not only know each other's names, but know each other, know the stories, then we can't do everything that God has called us to do. So what I think we need to do is really not just be name tags that we walk by on Sunday and kind of get to know, and hey, how you doing? All right, see you next week. We need to be in each other's lives. We need to know each other's stories. Amen. So I'm going to tell you my story. This is kind of, I'm going to model what I want, uh, what I believe that we should be doing as a church, as one chapel. And so my name is Robert Donaldson III, and this is me when I was born. This is a picture of me, baby Robbie, right there. And that's my dad, Robert Donaldson Jr. My parents are younger there than I am now, and my dad was a pastor. This is a picture right after we came to Colorado. I was born exactly 46 days after the original Star Wars came out. (laughs) Star Wars Episode Four: New Hope for my fellow nerds in the audience. And so that was me, 1978 in that picture. My dad was a pastor, and I grew up as a pastor's kid, went to church every Sunday. But I remember going to school and different things. It was hard to explain to my friends what a pastor did. I remember this one specific story where all my friends, we were hanging out together, and everyone was kind of bragging on their dad. Remember when you were a little kid and you kind of brag on your dad or brag on your parents? So we were all together, and we were bragging on our dads, and one kid said, and he was like, well, my dad is so... He's a lawyer, and he makes $75 just for one hour of talking to people. It's like, wow. And then the next kid was like, my dad's a doctor. He makes $100 an hour just for people talking to him. And so I was like, wow, my dad's not a doctor, not a lawyer. I mean, I went to church in the 80s, and we had pews, and we had those offering plates with felt on the bottom, and they were like silver. And so I was like, I don't know, how do I make that sound cool? And so I was nervous for a moment. And then I looked up and felt the strength of God. (laughs) And I said, my dad's a pastor, and he's such a big deal that it takes eight men every week to bring him all his money. (laughs) (laughs) And so I grew up, I grew up a pastor's kid. But growing up, I also, like Ross said, love stories. So this is me, this is high school Rob here. I, this is the mid-90s, awkward. There were payphones back then, just so you can know. <laughs> My kids walk by a payphone, they're like, what is that? <laughs> How do I text someone on this? And so, uh, that's a payphone, but that's me in high school, and I loved stories. I was, even with me and my friends, we'd go out in the field, and we'd make movies, and we'd uh, do all that different sort of stuff. But I know what you're thinking about this guy. 
how did that guy ever get married? And not only did I get married, but I got married to her. I know, oh. That's my wife, this is Sarah. Uh, we got married June 27th, June 27th, right, honey? June 27th, <laughs> 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 June 27th, 2003, and so that's us. We were walking down the aisle, so happy, newlyweds there, and we decided, we were, we'd always talked about having kids, and I knew one day I would have Robert Donaldson the fourth. That would be our first child, and so our first child was born, and uh, that, our first boy turned out to be a girl. So that was a surprise, and so that's me. Don't I look so happy there? <laughs> I had no idea how many diapers I was going to have to change. And so I was there with the little baby, and it was amazing, and I thought, we thought, well, let's try for two. And so went for that next boy, and then our next boy <laughs> also turned out to be a girl. And so that is my oldest daughter, Juliana, and that's her younger sister, Claire. And so that's them, bridesmaids at a wedding, and we're like, two kids, wow, should we stop there? And we're like, you know what would be incredible? Three kids. <laughs> Those are my actual muscles. I've, uh, <laughs> so that's us, and that's my uh, third daughter there, baby Jack Jack. Uh, <laughs> Abigail Harper Stinnett, and so that's her. And then we thought, well, we'll try for one more, and then we had our fourth, and that's Emma Jane. That's our, that's our little baby. <laughs> So if you would have told that kid on the payphone, one day you were going to have four daughters, he wouldn't have believed you. But sometimes God has plans for our life that are so much better than our own plans. And so that's me. This is our family. That's kind of all the kids, if you see them running around here. And that family there, that was last fall, they had no idea that they would be moving to Austin in a very short time from that picture. And so we came here. Uh, to Austin, but like Ross said, as I've kind of grew up, I grew up as a part of a local church, as part of New Life Church, serving there, also found different ways to tell the story of God, and so this is a picture of uh, a production that I've been involved with for years and years called The Thorn. It travels to all sorts of different cities, and it just tells the story of Jesus in a really theatrical way, and it's amazing what happens when, when the story of Jesus is not just words, but people see it in front of them. And so this is The Last Supper, and this is uh, John the Beloved narrating the Last Supper. And so I've seen countless people come to Jesus and say, I never realized that's what he did for me. And so, but it's a crazy day job to have to tell this story. And then after every show, all the disciples would carry me on their shoulders like Rudy uh, <laughs> to say that job well done. And so that's me with all my friends, the disciples. And so <laughs> they're great guys. They're kind of a mess, but great guys. So... That's a little bit kind of about my story, but I had the privilege of shaping my story for you guys. I had the privilege of kind of telling our stories. But what also happens is our names come with a reputation. And so what I found was when I first got here, they're like, oh, you're the tall guy from Wisconsin, but you're shorter than I thought you would be. <laughs> and they realized, oh, there's another guy, there's Russ. And so me and Russ, people get us confused. And so I had a reputation just even a little bit as getting here. And I think uh, reputation is an important thing to understand with names. I worked in marketing uh, as well, doing different copywriting and things like that. And so I learned with marketing, what they really want is for your name, you to associate the name with something. So Starbucks, what's the first thing you think of? Coffee. coffee. <laughs> $5 coffee. P. Terry's, you think hamburgers. 
Walmart, you think mullets. And so, uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding, <laughs> a little bit. And so that's what happens, right? We have these names and these corporations spend all this money, all this energy, but still brand, a brand name kind of has a reputation that comes with it. Uh, this guy named Cliff Dickens actually went and wrote out what we actually think of different brands when we hear their names. So Lego, he wrote out Lego, and Lego is the bane of your foot's existence. <laughs> There's Bic, Bic. You probably didn't buy it. <laughs> Wikipedia. You're welcome, college kids. <laughs> Ikea. We put extra parts in just to mess with you. <laughs> Monopoly. A great way to ruin friendships. <laughs> you see... Sometimes the reputation upstages the name. The reputation gives the name a different meaning. I have an all-encompassing name, and that name is Christian. It encompasses everything about me. And when I think Christian, I think, love my neighbor as myself, and I really like me. I think help the poor. I think someone who fights for the marginalized. I think someone who worships God with all that I do. But the problem is, the name Christian also has a reputation. And some of the reputation isn't good. Some of the reputation means hypocrite. It means fake. The name Christian means cheater liar. And that's not what it's supposed to mean. But the name Christian has kind of gotten beat up from our own sinfulness, from our own mistakes. So the question for us is how do we as Christ followers, how do we live as Christ followers when that name has lost its meaning? See, the name following Jesus doesn't mean to be a liar, doesn't mean to be a cheat, doesn't mean to be a hypocrite, doesn't mean to be judgmental. It actually means to be the opposite of all those things. But what do we do when our name's been tarnished? Well, I think Jesus told a parable to let us know what to do when this happens. That parable comes in Luke chapter 10, verse 25. This is the parable of the Good Samaritan. And the Good Samaritan, those are two words that, that's a common parable. Most people, even if they haven't read the Bible, know the Good Samaritan. But, this is a, but putting those two words side by side, those are two words that don't even make sense. That's like saying good politician. It's like saying good lawyer. It's like saying good Democrat. It's like saying... <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I love the Democrats very much. But it's one of those things where those two names that just are side by side and don't mean, it seems weird that they would be side by side to the audience. You see the Luke 10, I'm not gonna take time and read it all the way through, but let me quickly tell you the story. A man was mugged, stripped of all his clothes, and he was left on the side of the road to die. And then a priest walked by. And so the audience hearing this would say, oh, a priest is walking by. Well, surely this man is gonna help the guy who was mugged, but the priest walk, kept walking right by. And then a Levite walked by, and the audience thought, well, surely the Levite will help this man who was left for dead. But the Levite kept walking right by. And then a Samaritan walked by, and he stopped, and he poured oil and wine on the wounds. He put him on his donkey. That's like saying, here, take my car, and I'll walk. He bandaged all his wounds, took him, paid his medical bills, and paid his rent until he was all the way better. 
This good Samaritan did something that we thought, that's just not what Samaritans do. And it changed the name of what Samaritan means. And I don't think this story, I really ever understood this story until last summer when I took a trip to Disneyland. I have a frightening story to tell you about my trip to Disneyland. And it happened, we have been planning this trip for two years. At the Stennett house, the girls had worked and worked. They earned all this money. We had saved up and saved up for this big family vacation to Disneyland. So we finally did it. We loaded up the minivan and we were gonna drive from Colorado Springs all the way to Anaheim. So we're like, all right, this will be our big family epic road trip. And so we started going. It was six or seven hours. Things were going great. And then all of a sudden, the air conditioning was going on. I heard kind of a belt snap. And I was like, ooh, what was that? And then all of a sudden, there was no more cold air. It was only hot air. And so I was like, how am I going to get through the Mojave Desert without air conditioning? And the next thing I knew, I was driving along. I was like, well, we'll figure it out. And then I saw the odometer, I mean, the speedometer was there. And then it was there, and it went like this. Just went all the way down. I was like, that's never happened. And then all of a sudden, goes down again. Next thing I know, the dashboard starts flashing, and it looks like the cabin in Lost, where it's just like the <laughs> cockpit is going crazy. It's like sirens, uh, 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 uh. the little oxygen masks are dropping down. It's like pandemonium in the car, and then we're driving 75, 80 miles per hour, and the car goes, and comes to a complete stop in the middle of Utah. And it looked just like this. It was the part of Utah where nobody lives. Nobody was around. If aliens actually landed in Utah, this is the part that they landed in. <laughs> it was forsaken, and so we thought, what do we do? So we went. There was barely any cell phone service. I kind of got my phone, dialed the tow company, and so the guy came. And when the tow truck driver came up, he looked at my pregnant wife. The baby wasn't born yet. She was pregnant. We had the three other girls, and he said, I can't fit you all in my tow truck. And I thought, uh, what? And so he's like, uh, you're going to have to split up. And so I was like, well, I can't leave my wife on the side of the road and my little girl's on the side of the road. So I said, all right, Sarah, you get in the car. We'll stay here. And so she said, okay. And I'll never forget her walking to the car, and she kind of looked back at me, and then she shut the door, and the tow truck drove off. And I just had that feeling. I was like, something is not right. Something is going to go wrong. So I I was like, okay, it's fine. I'll just text her. Hey, are you okay? No response. I was like, okay, I'll call her. And my phone went dead. And so I just got this nervous feeling of like, what am I going to do? Next thing I knew, a state trooper pulled up right behind us. And then he came and he walked up, our hood's up, and he walks over and he's like, uh, so car troubles? And I was like, yeah. And you have to understand, like, I am not a car guy. I was shopping for a car these last couple of weeks. And you know when you shop for a car, they like open up the hood and they're like, oh, it look good in there. And I'm like, yeah, there's some car parts in there. <laughs> That's the flux capacitor, I presume. <laughs> I know nothing. I'm embarrassing. <laughs> and so I knew nothing about the car. The state trooper's there. He's kind of looking at the car and he's like, well, do you have help? And I was like, yeah, the tow truck driver was here. And he's like, the tow truck driver was here. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, where is he? And I was like, well, he took my wife and kids. And he's like, he took your wife and kids? And I was like, yeah. I was like, is that a problem? And he goes, shouldn't be. <laughs> that super long pause like that. And all of a sudden, I just got nervous. And the world was, road was rocking up and down. And I was like, 
what is happening? And so he's like, well, it looks like you have everything taken care of, so I'm just going to get back on the road. And he drives off. And I just stood on the side of the road. I was praying. I was like, please let everything be okay. Well, then the next thing I knew, the truck driver, the tow truck driver finally came, drove up, and then he said, um, I was like, hey, are my wife and kids okay? He's like, yeah, I took them over to Dale's house. And I was like, (laughs) you took them over to Dale's house. He's like, yeah, the company that you were going to take the car to get fixed at, they said they have a two-day wait, and so Dale can get it fixed right away. And I was like, oh, (laughs) this is how it is. This is the scam that you play on the dad who doesn't understand what a flux capacitor is. <laughs> so, uh, so I was like, okay, so you're going to price gouge me for all this. That's what I thought was going to happen. So I was like, I don't even care. We just need to get the car fixed. But what I was thinking is we're going to have to pay so much for this car, we're not going to be able to go to Disneyland. So we get, we go in the car, we get to this like Dale's garage there, this tiny garage off the side of the road in Utah. And then my wife and kids are there. We hug, we have this reunion. And a few minutes later, the guy comes out and he's like, well, I know what's, what the problem is. And I was like, okay, here it comes. What's the problem? And he's like, ah, it's belt in there, caused some problems, but uh, we got it all fixed up. And I was like, all right, well, what's the damage? He's like, $43. <laughs> and I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, you look like you've had a hard day and your kids are tired. So he's like, we took care of the labor. We took care of everything. I just wanted to do something to bless you. And I, I never cry, but I got weepy. <laughs> I just got weepy and I hugged him for probably way too long. <laughs> I might have told him I love you. I don't know what, <laughs> I don't know what happened. My, my shirt was covered in grease. And I was just like, That's, this, is the good, this is the good Samaritan. This is the story. You see the name mechanic, what it means is someone who fixes things, someone who makes things run better, someone who fixes problems. But what we think mechanic means is cheat, is thief, is liar. Because of bad mechanics out there who have given the name mechanic a bad name. And it's the same thing for us as Christians. The only way to change what Christians mean is not clever Facebook posts, is not shouting out, but when people come through these doors, they're going to come in maybe like I was on that trip, lost and desperate and without hope, not sure what to turn next. And they're going to write their name on a name tag. And how we treat them, how we respond to people, how we respond to people in our community, that's what's going to change the name of Christian for everyone. I truly believe that. And so I want to tell one final story. And uh, this, is, this is a picture of Robert Donaldson at the first. This is my grandpa. And uh, when we were driving down here, we went and visited him on the way. He lives in Amarillo, Texas. For my whole life, the only time I'd come to Texas was Amarillo. So we'd come every Christmas, summers, Amarillo. And when I got to Austin, I was like, wow, this looks nothing like Amarillo. (laughs) Someone in the first service said, thank God. (laughs) And so I went to visit my grandpa on the way, and he prayed a prayer for me. And as I was preparing for this message, I thought about this picture of Grandpa praying a prayer. And he prayed for blessings for us. He prayed for the church. He prayed that Jesus' name would be made known. My grandpa worked in a plant uh, for most of his life, but he was also a mechanic on the weekends. And he would go, and different people from the church, different people from the community, he would fix their car, he would make things better, and he just did it 
to take care of people, to love people. Being a mechanic was how he showed people Jesus. And so, as we go into the fall here, this is Labor Day weekend, this is kind of the kickoff into the fall. I just felt like I was praying about what to share, and I wanted to challenge us to do two things. I want to challenge us to really make sure as a church, you don't just come, write your name tag, and leave as soon as possible. Take time to get to know the names around you. And as we're in our community, as we're one chapel in the greater Austin area, as we go down to Kyle, really make the name of Jesus known for what, who he actually is and for what the name Christian actually means. And I believe that's what will happen. And it's not through a big event or anything like that that really changes people's lives. People's lives are changed. I know pastors who poured into my life and taught me what the name Christian means. So what we're going to do in just a moment here is we're going to take communion. And uh, as we take communion together as a church, what I want to challenge you to do is really think about this. Contemplate on the name Christian. Contemplate on the name disciple. What does that mean to you? How can you live as a Christian better? And it's not works. It's not works-based of like, oh, I've got to do enough things. I've got to prove enough things. It just means I have to really live like Jesus did. Be a good Samaritan. Love people. Love my neighbor as myself. Worship God with my whole heart. So what we're going to do in just a moment here is we're going to have communion. Here at One Chapel, we practice open communion, which means everyone is invited to the Lord's table to take communion. If you're not going to come and take communion, we just ask that you would go ahead and get up, walk through. The ushers will kind of lead you where to go and then walk back so people don't have to step up, step over you. So I'm going to pray here, and then we're going to take communion as a church together as we contemplate on the name of Jesus and the name Christian. So pray with me, One Chapel. Father God, I thank you for this amazing group of Christ followers, Lord. And I pray that you'd be with us this morning, Lord. We come to the table to remember what you have done for us, Lord. To remember how you loved us, how you gave your life for us, Lord. I pray that you would forgive us of our sins, Lord. I pray that our eyes would be focused on you, Lord. I pray that this would be a time in our week where everything could be recentered, Lord. And we'd think about you, Jesus. We want to make your name known, Lord. And we want to grow together as a church so we can make an impact for you. We love you, Father. We pray that you'd be with us this morning. In your name, amen.